Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hey everyone, welcome to My Millennial Money. Today is a live case study. This is an example of a clarity call that Jess in our team had with John Pigeon. She was going through her own property drama and changes in her life and she thought she would have a clarity call with John Pigeon. And I said to John, hey, would you care if you recorded this? Because I think it's just interesting to hear uh, other people's stories and what they're doing with their with their money, but also you can see what John does to provide clarity to Jess in this situation. If you did want a clarity call, you can go to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and you'll be able to select a clarity call with John Pigeon. He does charge $330 for these calls. It might be up to an hour. He'll usually do a bit of research uh, before the call. We haven't had any bad feedback uh, once someone has had a clarity call with John, so you won't be disappointed. And before I get onto the Clarity Call, I just want to say, if you're new to My Millennial Money in our world, welcome. There's a couple of other podcasts that we do that I'll profile right now. We do a podcast called My Millennial Career with Shell and M, who are HR and career experts. And we also have a podcast called My Millennial Health with Jess Spendlove and Chloe McLeod, who are all over the health and wellness thing. They're high-performing dietitians and they've just wrapped up season one of My Millennial Health. So check out My Millennial Health and My Millennial Career because it's just really good content. And I just want to say thank you so much for letting us in your ears. Podcast, it's getting busy out there. It's getting noisy. Uh, You do have a choice and I thank you for choosing My Millennial uh, to get your information from and sometimes a bit of entertainment. So here we go, a clarity call with John Pigeon and Jess from the My Millennial Money team. Ah, Jess, um, thank you for reaching out. How are we? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. So what made you want a clarity call? Well, I guess I was hoping, John, that you could give me all the answers to my life and, um, <laughs> and yeah, I'd be, just be sorted from here on out. <laughs> yeah, well, well, I'll try my best, Jess. You've given me a great blurb on, on your existing life and where, it's, what you, where you want it to head, so that's awesome. But um, full transparency, it's getting recorded, so the whole world's going to know about your life as well. <laughs> Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so tell me... In one line, what do you want to get out of the call? That is a good question. (laughs) I was almost going to rant, but in one line, I think I just like, I guess, a professional opinion and just um, some additional, you know, just thoughts on my situation. And I'm sure there's things that I am probably not thinking of. Yeah, just a bit of a bounce, bounce ideas and... Um, tell me all the good things I need to know. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I did see a post that you put up in the My Millennial Money Facebook group, and I think you got a bit of public feedback on that in regards to your situation and what you should do. So, yeah, may some of that may have helped. Some of it may have confused you more. I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it was interesting to read through people's. Um, thoughts and comments and ideas but um, I guess the thing is that anyone can say anything in a Facebook group but um, are they doing that professionally and for a living have have they actually done that or are they just um, just giving a suggestion Um, even if it is helpful if you haven't done it before then yeah it's worth it's worth vetting what to do with your money and with property because it's you know they're big ticket purchases (laughs) absolutely they are yeah I suppose 
what I'm what I'm hearing is, or what you've written down is, you've got an existing property on the Gold Coast. Um, you, you're wanting to potentially buy a second one uh, as an investment to maybe live in, maybe not. We can thrash that out, but then also have the ability to buy another one with your partner um, going forward for the long term. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Okay. So what I like to do in these instances is is fast forward 10, 15 years and then work our way back to what do we do in the next six to 12 months. So if I look at your next 10 to 15 years, what you've got in the mix there is getting married within a couple of years. So we need to factor that in financially and looking at having kids in the next 10 years. Yeah. I would say after 10 years. Okay. At the end of the 10 years. (laughs) End of the 10 years. No worries. All right. Yeah. So factoring that in, why that's important is um, usually when we're having kids, one of us is off work for a period of time. Um, your lending capabilities reduce and then post kids or post having or giving birth, you've then got potentially part-time work instead of full-time or um, childcare fees or um, school fees, whatever it may be. So your life changes a lot financially from that moment on. So we need to make sure we take advantage of of lending ability and savings ability in these next 10 years. Yeah, for sure. So, So looking at your numbers, you think you can save around 45 oh sorry you've, you've got about 45 grand a year you you think you can save about 12 grand a year is that about accurate right yeah so that's i don't think that's actually right i think since i <laughs> uh filled that out <laughs> okay i uh I did some more thinking about it and I was like, I know, I don't think that's possible based on my current circumstance. It, it would be less than that. But yeah, I do have, um, I do have the 45 in the bank waiting to be used. Um, so I just keep, keep contributing to that. But I'd have to recalculate the numbers to determine how much I could keep saving just based on current income and um, and my current expenses, but I think because I've been thinking so far, was well, I've been thinking more, I guess, differently in terms of how my circumstance could change. I.e., I wouldn't be living where I am now, be living somewhere else, and so I've been more kind of playing up on those scenarios. Okay, all right. So regarding savings. There's only two ways we can change that is earn more and spend less or a combination of both of those things. Yeah. So one thing I like people to focus on is is what's in our control, what's in your own control um, because capital growth on properties is not in your control. Although we can forecast and research and analyse before we pull the trigger, we, we can't guarantee it. Um, but what we can guarantee is what we're putting away per week, per month, per year. So that's a really uh, important area of our life that I want you to get some some real clarity on um, to know that if it's 10 grand a year or can we increase it to 12, can we increase it to 15 and how that's going to play out and forecast for the next five years. Yeah, definitely. So getting married within a couple of years um funding for that how is that tracking what's what's your process there well there's no real plans there at the moment so like we're not engaged or anything but we're just pretty open um with each other as to you know that's kind of where we're heading in the future so he's not finding out out on a recorded clarity call that he's going to marry you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to this podcast the other day and, yeah, anyway. Um, yeah. Surprise, okay. So it's in, it's in the mix. <laughs> yeah. It's in the mix. It's going to happen. How are we paying for it? Good question because I haven't really done a lot of research as to how much they cost other than just kind of surveying friends here and there. But, yeah, I honestly would rather – elope and just have like a wedding party that's not a wedding that I spend 5k on I mean that's that's my preference because I don't see the point in I mean I do understand weddings are you know such a beautiful 
occasion and I think most people just want to have one in their life. So yeah. um, it's worth putting in putting in the effort and the money and resource and making it a really special day. But I think I would definitely try and, and keep, keep that down. Um, but it would probably, yeah, I would say it would be us paying for it. My dad might, might chip in and be a bit generous, but all in all, I would try and keep the cost down and I wouldn't go into debt to pay for any of it. Um, but awesome. yeah, I'm not saving. I'm not saving for that at the moment. Yep. Cool. Okay. So I'd rather buy a property. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, so for, again, looking at things in our control, that's definitely another thing that's in our control, how much we spend on an, uh, a special event like that as well. Yeah, definitely. There's some of your short-term, long-term lifestyle changes that'll occur um, throughout the journey. Your plan is to stay on the Gold Coast, basically. Um, you can't see yeah. yourself moving from there, but from what I've read. Um, at the yeah. moment, you've, you're living in a, a one-bedroom unit you you think it's valued at 230k and you've got 131 at the time of writing left on the loan. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Now, is that 45k offsetting the 131? It's not actually um because of how my loan is set up. I didn't I didn't set it up that way with my broker. So, it's not unfortunately Okay. All right. And um, is it principal and interest variable or fixed? Um, it was on fixed um, for two years and then it come, has come down onto, onto variable within the last year. Okay. And principal and interest, yeah? Oh, yeah, principal and interest, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And the interest rate? Mm, good question. Two point something. I called them multiple times. I said, you need to bring it down because I um, – when I first started my job, I, yeah, I couldn't um, refinance at the time. And so I didn't really have any, um, any power behind me to say, okay, well, I'm switching. Um, but I did call them a couple of times and they brought it down. Um, cool. So I'd have to check that interest rate. Okay. So how long have you been working for this unbelievable company now? <laughs> Um, I've been at My Millennial Money for eight months, I think. Eight months, yeah. Yeah, okay. eight months, I would say. All right. So first action step is to go back to them and request an offset account. Yeah. And, and, and get your broker to review it. Now, if they didn't set you up with an offset account to begin with, um, it might also mean finding a new broker. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but we can um, work through the action steps after the conversation if you want. Yeah, okay, that would be great. So variable P&I, maybe 2.5%. So let's work out then what the equity is in that particular property. So have you got a calculator in front of you? I've got my phone, which should be able to help me. All right, let's do that then. So let's do – so we want to find out the usable equity, not the – equity in total, right? So what we can potentially take out of it for our next purchase if we can. Okay. So 230,000 times 80% equals? 184.8. 8. Okay. Minus your loan of 131,000? 53.8. So if the bank's saying your servicing is fine, as in you can repay these loans, um, you have roughly 53000 of usable equity that you can pull out to potentially go and use for an investment purchase or your next purchase. Right, okay. Okay, now that coupled with your 45K of savings gives you roughly, let's call it 100000 98000 yeah? Yeah. Now, we don't want to go and use all of that because we need buffers in our life. Yeah. So how much are you comfortable with to have as a buffer sitting there that is not going to be used for your your property purchase? I think 10. Yep. 10K is a bit of a buffer, yeah. You could sleep at night if you had 10 grand sitting there? Yep. Cool. And that's sort of roughly two to three months worth of uh, running costs in your life? Yep. Cool. All right. So that 
that leaves then 35 plus the 55, provided that the banks can release some equity for you, um, gives you about 88K. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now, have you gone back to the broker to, to ask what your borrowing capacity is, what you can purchase? Yeah. So I went to I went to my broker and, and kind of um, have been in discussions based on based on where I am now and what it's worth and trying, um, yeah, going through the equity and that type of thing. And they've, he gave me a, an approval of up to, um, three twenty, which to me actually I thought was shocking because I'm, um, you know, I just, I'm a single, single girl, you know, I, there's a lot of people in the Facebook group that make, you know, a lot more than me. Most people in the Facebook group that comment how much they're making make a lot more than me. So I just think, wow, if that's what they give someone like me, and I'm, and I don't mean that as a complaint on how much I'm making. I just know that there's people in, in different industries that um, just have more opportunity at, at a younger age to be paid more. But it, it's just shocking how much money you can be approved for. That's that's was that's what I thought. That was my takeaway. Yeah. So you're saying that's a high amount. It was more than I expected for for me at this stage, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, for the purpose of the conversation, we're not talking about what sort of incomes you're on, but um, as a message to Glenn, if he listens, um, feel free to give Jess a pay rise to, to help her out with this um, <laughs> little uh, journey she's on. Um, so if you look at a 320K purchase, um, the banks look at serviceability and buying power. Now, your buying power is your cash or equity that you bring to the table and your serviceability is what income you've got coming into your life versus your expenses. So they've obviously looked at your 53K of equity and your cash position and it's it's probably the servicing that's holding you back slightly. Um, depending on what sort of deposits you're looking to put in on that next purchase, if you put in all the equity and keep your cash, you're probably looking at around about give or take um, 10%. You could buy 500k property at 20% is a 250k property. So yeah. was your vision to put in a, a 20% deposit on this purchase? I didn't really have a uh, specific vision. I think my thought has kind of changed as I've learned more about how I could go about it. So um, I guess if I was purchasing something within the next six months or the next year, but then I'm buying something else down the line and, and this purchase number two will be will become an investment, then my thought was to kind of, put as much in as I need to, to void lender's mortgage insurance, but then, but then keep the, keep the bulk of it and put that towards the net, the purchase after that, which would actually be where I'd be planning to live for longer, potentially, you know, like another, another five years. So at least I'm kind of keeping my, my cash deposit for, to help kind of keep those servicing costs down of the mortgage. So yeah, yeah so, I'm not sure if that, that thought is like is uh, in line with, with what you would recommend. Yeah, so I think, and I say to a lot of people, always look at the next purchase before buying this property. So if you're looking at yeah, buying yeah. two properties in the next five, 10 years, which you, you sounds like you are, we've got to think yeah. about what that second property is going to look like. So yeah. if, if you and your partner were going to buy something on the Gold Coast, what would you roughly be spending haven't even looked that far yet, to be honest. It's okay. not even a plan. Yeah, it's um, it's just a, a dream, at this point. <laughs> okay, so he doesn't know about the wedding, and he doesn't know about the house he's going to buy with you either. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> no, he um, he knows about it. So um, he works he works for himself, and he's never bought, and um. Now that I've been looking for my my second kind of purchase, he keeps saying to me, "Oh, maybe I'll buy somewhere as well." And I keep saying, "Okay, just 
you know, go to a broker and, and find out how you can even get a loan working for yourself. Yep. Um, got to jump and through a lot more hoops. And has he done that? He hasn't done that yet, but I keep telling him you should just find out what you're, like based on what you own now and what you've got and stuff, how much you could, yeah, what your um, borrowing capacity would be. But, um, yeah, hasn't gone that far yet. I did send him, though, the list that my broker sent me um, for applying for finance and he was a bit shocked. So, <laughs> Was he? Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. So I think it's actually worth th- that exercise. Now, I might be fast-forwarding your life a little bit here by talking about marriage and talking about buying your own home to live in with him. But mm. I-, I think people back themselves into a corner uh, by putting all their eggs in this purchase now and not having anything in reserve for their principal place when they actually want to um, transact on that. And usually that's sooner rather than later. Yeah. So yeah, right. if we at least know what he can lend and, and maybe what price that you would look at buying together in at, um, or you don't buy together yet and you just simply have three properties between the two of you for the next 10 years and then wheel around and buy your own home together and that might mean selling down on one or two of them, That that's okay. But knowing that longer term, probably five to 10 year period, as hard as it is to plan, just so that, um, as I said, you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. Yeah, right. Either way, to avoid that in the short term, you, you just, you you might want to extract the equity from your, your existing Gold Coast property and use that only as your deposit. Yeah, okay. So in that example, if you purchase for 320, you pulled out your 50 grand, you're going to have about, well, you won't have any stamp duty concessions because you've already got the first homeowner's concession. Is that right? I Yeah, I didn't pay stamp duty on my first property. So okay. that means yep. I so pay you- stamp duty now, right? Yeah, that's right. Your stamp duty is payable this time around. So you factor in uh, your stamp duty on a 320k purchase in Queensland. And if you need to go to solvewealth.com.au and go to the tools section and see stamp duty calculator, organic plug there, Jess. And <laughs> you could. Very good. Yeah, you then reverse engineer it and say, right, I've got 50, 55 grand up my sleeve. Uh, how much do I need to allocate to stamp duty? If that's 15 grand, that leaves me 40 odd for my deposit. That's going to be maybe a loan to value ratio of about 86, 87%, which will mean you'll pay a little bit of lender's mortgage insurance, uh, but it, it, it means that you're keeping the cash up your sleeve for the next purchase. If you didn't want to pay lenders mortgage insurance because you thought, no, nah, I can actually save that money for the, my next purchase, then you you would use some of that 45K of cash. Yeah, right. Um, but knowing that this property, well, you, your first property that you're living in now is going to be an investment property. You're not going to sell that. And the, this second property that you purchase will also eventually become a, an investment property, won't it? Yeah, that's right. And I've been I've been a little bit more intentional in, well, as much as I can be, in trying to get my head around and become a bit more knowledgeable on what a good investment should actually look like. So um, before I even go to an inspection, looking at the property online and getting all of the figures for it, seeing, you know, what kind of area is it in? How old is the building? So I can find out how long I could continue to claim depreciation on it and just running all of the numbers based on how much it rents for and that type of thing. And it's actually doing that exercise. I found super surprising because you could look at a um, property that has, you know, has a pretty good purchase price and, it gets um gets rented out for, I don't know. It seems like the ratio between the purchase price and what it gets rented out for is is quite, um quite good. But then if you don't factor in all the other costs, like um if it's a unit in a complex, obviously body corporate, and the rates and water and and all of that, like it's just um yeah, it's just been a really interesting exercise for me to actually go okay, well 
where are the um, where are the profitable uh, investment properties, <laughs> if that makes sense. Just based on what I, what I know, um, I think when I bought my place um, here on the Gold Coast, I I had very good intentions that in the future I would um, flip it to become an investment property. And, and I thought it was a good area to buy into as well. So at the time I paid um, two, 2.025 um, for it and now properties in or units in my complex are being sold for about that two 2.30 mark and um, those are ones that haven't been renovated and mine mine has has slightly. So having I've increased the aesthetic a little bit. I put nice floorboards in with the help of my dad and my boyfriend. So, um, so yeah, but I guess um, when I bought it, I actually didn't really run the numbers properly looking at how it would look like as an investment property in terms of cash flow coming in. So I think I'm lucky, I'm lucky that I chose um, a, an area that I think will continue to um, increase in value but in terms of when I look at the numbers now of turning my current place into an investment property, it's it looks like from my end it's it's kind of just keeping itself afloat. Like it's just paying for itself, but I'm not getting like I won't be getting it really any cash flow from it. So the gain for me as to holding on to it is that it hopefully will continue to create increase in value long term. But I thought for myself as an exercise, what if I can, if I do purchase another property within the next six months, where can I find somewhere that, you know, actually is going to give me some of that cash flow? So that that was kind of what I was what I was looking at, and I don't I know that it doesn't always work out that way for, um, with tax, you know, with tax purposing, but as much as I could, I was just trying to run the numbers and get my head around. Yeah, awesome. Well done. I'm glad you went through that exercise because you do learn a lot um, and, and thinking back to say, well, what would I do differently? But then more importantly, what direction will I take this time because I've had that experience? Um, yeah, so definitely, the yeah, definitely. The first thing I'd say is it's roughly running at about 4% per annum growth, your existing Gold Coast property. Yeah, so, okay. If you if you continue to calculate that as uh, as the norm, um, yeah, you're going to eventually get some equity, um, not groundbreaking equity, but it'll continue to perform for you. And understanding then when you move out, what the rent's going to to be in respect to your costs, which it sounds like you've started to do, and and absolutely yeah. understanding what those numbers are before tax and after tax. So it may mean speaking to your accountant about that as well yeah i got my i got my accountant to run up some some numbers and um some potential scenarios um for me based on my yeah where i'm living now as an investment property so after tax yeah it kind of looks like it's it's covering itself which i don't know at least it's covering itself (laughs) yeah that's right and that means you can hold on to it long term all you need to factor in now is what's your before tax cash flow per annum that you need to put in and just always have that sitting aside and then when you get your tax return um, boost that account back up again so let, let's say per annum um, that the property is costing you five grand to hold yeah right yeah. means the expenses are five grand more than your income coming in you then go and get a tax return and the tax return is six thousand dollars you're going to put that $6,000 back in where you took the $5,000 from. Yeah, right. You're not going to go to Paris and, and spend the money over there. <laughs> All right? <laughs> Sad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. You've got to save for that Paris trip somewhere else. Yeah. No, no, that sounds that sounds good. That makes sense. Yep. So it's standing alone on its own two feet. The fact that you're working means you can claim the running costs of it but then um, you, you've got buffers aside to continue to, to prop it up each year. Um, as over time, your rent will increase, um, whereby you might not have to put as much into it, if any. Yeah. So the next part of that is 
you've thought about the cash flow of the property and, and like, well, yeah, I've, I've seen your notes that, yeah, maybe we can get $300 a week when I only pay 250k for something and it costs me nothing to hold and gives me cash in my life. Yeah. We need to yeah. weigh that up against your, I suppose, search for capital growth. Which one is more important to you in the next 10 years? Is it cash flow or capital growth? I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's let's have another example. If I buy something for three hundred, and it's in ten years' time, it's worth six hundred. That's three hundred k of equity or profit that I can take if I sold it to to go and do something with. If I bought something at for two fifty, and it was giving me a couple of grand a year of cash flow positive. I didn't have to put any money into it, but in ten years' time, it was only worth three fifty. Which option would you take? Hmm. I think I would prefer the equity. Yep. But I want both. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Is that too much to ask for? <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? Now, it's probably, on a serious note, it's probably the best, what well, is the best time in my investing career, 20-odd years, that it, you can actually get both. Right. So, wow. Jess, you've come to the right spot. <laughs> no. um, <laughs> now, how we get that is making sure, it's basically highest and best use of our money buying an, a dwelling that's going to appeal to the majority of people. So you, you can't have champagne taste on beer money. So you've got 320K to spend. We can't go and look at 400K property. So if you're wanting to buy in the next 12 months, we've got 320K by the sounds of it, or, or you might continue to, to search to see if there's other options um, to lend you more. I don't know. But then what will 320k get me and uh, do I need to buy on the Gold Coast and if I do, what sort of dwelling do I want for, or what can I mm. get for my 320k? Yeah, and that's where some of, that's where some of my decisions uh, are really led by my um, lifestyle and, and I guess current like setup. Because I, if I actually, if I wasn't um, in the current situation that I was in, then I wouldn't even be considering buying at this point. But that's why it's been really interesting for me to investigate more to kind of push me down that track. But what started the whole thing for me was my, there's a building right next door that's about to start construction. And because I work from home, um, I know that it's going to really affect me. So the per the reason for my next purchase would initially I thought was, you know, well, this will be somewhere where I can live in it for a year or two um, and then turn it into investment again and, and then, you know, move on to the next property after that. Okay. So you're telling me you're buying a property based on the fact that next door is going to have development noise for the next 18 months? Three years. <laughs> <laughs> Three years. Okay. Well, that, that's my consideration, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if we, if we didn't – I'm not saying it's a rash decision by any means, but if we didn't go down that path and we went and rented somewhere for that period and, uh, and, and rent our place out, would that be an option? It potentially would be an option, but when I, so when I ran the numbers based on me potentially buying somewhere based on like a weekly rent of what I would pay to um, live by myself in say a granny flat or a studio or something like that. And with not a lot of choice of, of where that is, when I ran the numbers based on that, it was actually it's about the same as some of the properties that I'm looking at buying next. So my thought was uh, in terms of, um, sorry, in terms of rent versus mortgage repayments and rates and body corp and all of that together. So I'm looking at about 
the same number per week. So the consideration was that with that was if I'm going to, I just feel like renting is throwing money down the toilet in that regard. If I could be using that to put towards another purchase. Another consideration for me was looking at, um, I've got a friend here who lives with her family in her family home. And, um, I actually asked them, I said, okay, if you were going to rent out that spare room, how much would you rent it out for? And so it was pretty compelling to run the numbers based on, based on renting out a room at $120 a week. Yeah. I could effectively save, uh, it was at least $12,000 more than what I would be saving otherwise when I ran to rent out that room. Um, yeah, if I was renting out instead of per, instead of making a, a purchase um, at this point. Okay. And would you be able to do that for the next couple of years? Well, the thing with that is because they don't own their home, their lease renews next year, early in the year. So I would potentially have to move again and not have a lot of choice as to what that looks like. So really for me it's about it's about making – the choice um, based on just where I'm at now in my own life. And um, for the most part, I really enjoy living alone. So I, so living with family would be more of a sacrifice from, from the lifestyle side, but I know that the saving would be really beneficial. I think it really depends on, yeah, on how comfortable I feel. I think I could, if it was, if I knew, okay, this is going to be, one to two years and I didn't have to move, say, next February if they were, had to move, then I would potentially look at just going at committing to that just for the, you know, 25K, 25 to 30K that I would be able to save in those two years. But the other part of it is, I guess, the loss of freedom and personal space that I've had for the last three years that I know that I would be able to achieve again if I um, found the right property um, and, I f- and I found a few that I think, okay, I could see myself living in it. I've run the numbers. They seem like good investment in terms of cash flow. The areas, I think, the suburb is something that I probably don't know much about um, other than just, oh, yeah, I think that this, this suburb is um, on a growth, a growth spurt, but um, who knows? So Who knows? Yeah, okay. Mm. Maybe you can tell me. <laughs> yeah, well, the ability, you're telling me you can save an extra 20 grand a year and what that 20 grand a year can do for you over the next couple of years to, to get yourself into a position where you can buy your principal place of residence with your partner at, at some stage sooner rather than later, I would seriously consider doing that. And and now, yes, you might take a dent on your lifestyle because you like to live alone, Um However, it ticks a lot of boxes. The only box it doesn't tick is is that uh, you're not living on your own um, mm. because if the Gold Coast market goes up in the unit sector, you're already taking advantage of that because of the property you've got and it's going to become a rental property. So you're going to get uh, a better tax outcome as well by renting it out. So uh, I think... Yeah, if, you've, if you're very much open to that, I would seriously consider it. Now, it might not be what you want to hear, um, <laughs> but um, if it's a bit of short-term pain for long-term gain, isn't it? Because you, you know that financially it's a better outcome and we're not just going buying a property for the sake of getting away from some noise and, and having our, our freedom on our own. If we were going to buy and, and you said, no, nah, John, I can't do it, I'm, I'm not happy renting with, with friends for another two years, then I, I would definitely be looking at getting something that's got appeal to more than just one part of the community. Yeah. Now, I'll give you an example of that if you've got a one-bedroom unit, who can rent that and who can buy that off you? Um, I guess – Single people and couples? Yep. Or other investors? Potentially other investors for the, if it's got good yield. Okay, so let's go up to a three-bedroom unit. Yeah, lots, families. 
So now we're entertaining maybe newly wedded or three friends that want to rent together or a, a couple with one or two kids maybe at a stretch. So we're opening ourselves up to a greater part of the community because when it's all said and done, the majority of home owners are people that buy their own home to live in, right? Investors mm. make up a small percentage. So we've got to look at who's, who is it appealing for when we want to sell it one day. And that's what's going to give us the growth in the majority of cases. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. I think when, cause I ran that exercise, that same exercise based on what would be the rental income versus what are the, all the expenses to have that as an investment. I did that for a lot of two bedrooms that I'd, I'd seen that were in my price range and none of them were cash flow positive, which is why, which is why I thought, well, if, if with, and maybe um, it could be that I was doing it wrong or I don't know enough, but my thought was, well, why would I do that then if I'm not planning on, like I wouldn't want to put myself in a spot where I have to sell that property in two years before I buy with my partner. Um, so that's why my thought was if I found another say a one bedroom that kind of ticks that box for me of um, I still have my own space but actually is cash flow positive um, and it also is I'm losing uh, sorry I'm using less of my uh, cash savings then then I'm, I'm keeping some of that cash savings to go towards that next purchase as well whereas if I was buying a two-bedroom I wouldn't have cash savings and then I'd have I'd probably have to sell that. I wouldn't really be able to rent that out for the for the cash flow, I guess. And so it would just be costing me money to hold on to it longer term. Yeah. So you just got to just got to question the performance of a one bird versus a, a two bed or a three bed, for example, and and the, from mm. a capital growth perspective, you, you mentioned that capital growth is the most important factor. So, yeah. but absolutely, you've got to appreciate the cash flow on it. So, can we go on an exercise to to go and buy in at at three hundred k? that's going to look after itself from a rental perspective that is a two or three better. I would, I'd like to research that more deeply, I suppose, before we came to the conclusion that we can't afford to hold that property. So we'll just go and buy one better. Yeah. Okay. Cause, cause also the other argument is you've got, you will have two properties on the Gold Coast, both one betters. Yeah, but if they're in different suburbs, does it count? <laughs> it it does count, but um, it's not the true diversification um, meaning. <laughs> no, it makes sense. Like take Labrador for an example. So Labrador's got a good combination of units and houses. Um, if we looked at the growth of Labrador from 2012 to now, in, in 2012, we would have bought a unit on average for about 280. It'd now be worth about 360. So it'd gone up right. about 80 grand. If we bought yeah. a house there, roughly 380 back then, it's now about 570. So about wow. 190 grand, right? So that's where houses majority of the time will, will outperform units or I'd, I'd nearly go as far to say all the time. Yeah. So can we actually go and rent with our friends, keep our equity, keep our cash, combine our, our funds with our um, husband-to-be and go and buy a house on the Gold Coast. Then you've got the unit that's looking after itself plus a house that will perform for you long-term and gives you the lifestyle you need. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Trying to get my head around it. <laughs> you are, aren't you? I can feel it. I can sense it. So, yeah. Um, I think it's just now that we know what's available to us and we know a bit more about the different options that we can take, we, we jot them down on the paper and say, look, my heart says this, but my head says this, right? And and we've just got to look at it um, strategically for, again, the long term. Yeah, definitely. I don't, I don't want to see you in a position where you've got two units, um, two one-bedroom units, 
you've you've used up all your cash and you've you've got no future savings to be able to go and buy your own home when you want it. Yeah, that's true. But then I'll just uh, I'll just move into one of my units. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could you could, but you're telling me like kids are on the agenda at some stage, so eventually that's going to have to change. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Mm. So we're I suppose we're, we're really having this con um, conversation that's around we're we're getting out of single life mindset into family mindset. So we've got to think like families even though we're not going to be a family for another 10 years, it comes around quick enough. Yeah, I'm sure it does. <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to tap into the headspace of that because I think you just you think based on what your circumstances are now and I think everyone tries to make the best decision for themselves based on their current circumstances, but it is so hard to kind of get yourself into that mindset of okay, but this is what my life could be and um yeah and I know certainly like I've heard a lot of I've I've heard a lot of stories from friends that have had you know like the surprise baby come along so um you know who knows what happens who knows what happens two years down the line or whatever so yeah I guess it's just trying to be prepared for the what is potentially coming that's right yeah and, and again, going back to the start of the conversation, we're thinking about the next play before we execute this one right now. Yeah. Anything else that you wanted to cover off on that? I don't know much about, and this might be more a question on the tax or accounting side, but I don't know much about loss of rental income and and preparing for that. I think because I, I'm conscious of, there being construction next door to me when I do move out of where I currently am. If something happens and I'm, it's potentially untenanted for, you know, half of the year or a quarter of the year um, because nobody likes living next to a construction site, do you have any suggestions or thoughts around that? Mm. Uh- Other than, I mean, prepare myself financially if that kind of scenario happens and my tax account has done you know has done and and looked at what my tax positioning would be based on um you know worst possible case scenario but yeah did you have any thoughts look the the first thing you've you've got to do which you've already got is is have a buffer up your sleeve for any um, vacancy periods which any good investor will have but just allow for a little bit more because of that I think it's a case of getting someone in uh, at the right time as well and getting that 12-month lease happening yeah so if you've got 12 months locked in you know that that 12 months pretty much is um is secured right yeah um and and looking at the when the development's starting and all those bits and pieces. But generally, people still need to leave, live somewhere. I would just check the vacancy rates in the area, in the, in the suburb, and just see what they're sitting at at the moment. And, and if they're at 1%, like a lot of the country, um, even if they jump to 4%, it's still roughly going to be about four weeks of vacancy. So you may have to drop it a little bit, but I'd like to think if you got the person in at the right time and you signed a 12-month lease, that you, mm. you should cover off majority of it. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So I suppose in closing, I would like to put in a few action steps uh, or some some uh, brain dumping sessions to, to go forward with. The the first thing would be to look at your, your current finance structure and indeed try and get um, an offset account attached to your existing property. Yeah. Um, if if that's not feasible, then that's that's fine. Um, but it should be. the The second one would be to have a have a chat with your man and uh, and check out <laughs> what the lending capabilities he's got. Yeah, and yeah. and just see, do some forecasting generally to to combine the funds eventually and, and buy something and, and what that might look like and, and the prices associated with buying your long-term house that you might bring the kids up in, et cetera. 
Yeah. Um, and then just run the numbers on your existing property with a few more weeks of vacancy in it and, and knowing how much money you need to put aside before tax when it's rented, rented out and and then make a decision on where you're going to live, whether that's rent with friends or buy that next property. Um, if it's the latter, well, if it's a, if it's the former, it's an easy decision. Just get out, rent your property and, and move in with friends. If it's buying that property, um, just looking at, again, who's going to buy that off me in 10 years' time and, and searching long and hard for the, for the good yields that are, that are out there to be able to cover majority of running costs and also will will hit that mark in terms of appealing to maybe small families, couples, groups of people. Yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds good. I've got a lot of uh, I've got a lot of action steps here to follow up on. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, we may we may even on the back of that do a, a session two down the track at some stage to get a feel of, right, this is what I thought, these are the numbers I ran, this is the conversations I had, this is actually what we've done or are going to do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Who, and see, did Jess take John's advice or not? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Was it a complete waste of time that hour? If so, great. <laughs> if not, well done. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really, I really appreciate your time, John, and yeah, and, and your expertise. Obviously, you know a lot more about it than me. So um, it's definitely, I think, challenging some of my my thinking but um but for the better so yeah i really appreciate and value your time cool easy done jess good to chat (laughs) thanks john thanks bye we acknowledge the dark and young people traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present we extend that respect to aboriginal and torres strait islander peoples who may listen to our podcast My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.